We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, February the 27th, 2020. On today's show, I break down South Carolina basketball's 94 to 90 overtime win over the Georgia Bulldogs. What a game. What a win. I'll try to break down what was a crazy, awesome, thrilling, stressful game at Colonial Life Arena on Wednesday night. Also, it is Clemson weekend. The rivalry series is upon us. I'm breaking down, previewing the South Carolina Clemson baseball series. I'll break down Clemson, their pitching, their hitting, everything you need to know about the Tigers. And also, we'll talk USC, what to watch for, key player for the weekend. I'll give my prediction as well. Very, very exciting as we go into rivalry weekend. Also, your listener questions. And we have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks catcher and current Detroit Tiger Grayson Griner. Guys, a phenomenal interview that I know you are sure to enjoy. Before we get into everything, this is a podcast into our friends over at Newground Hard Nitro Lattes. Guys, this drink is absolutely amazing. I love the brand. I love the people. The drink itself, though, phenomenal. Everyone that I've given these drinks to, I let try. They have been pleasantly surprised just because of how good it is. Not that they didn't expect to like it, but just how good the drink is, guys. It's amazing. If you're a big coffee drinker like me as well, you're going to love it. They have two flavors, cafe latte and chai latte, which have 5% alcohol. So, guys, 5% alcohol. It's enough to enjoy casually if you want, but also if you're at the tailgate, you're trying to have a good time, you're at a party, you're with friends, family, whatever, it's perfect for any occasion. Guys, like I said before, these things taste amazing. There's a reason for that. They're actually made with real coffee and tea, natural flavors, real sugar. They're GMO-free. Guys, when you taste these things, you're going to be able to tell the difference. You know, a lot of times you're sacrificing taste for the buzz you're trying to achieve. Not with this. I mean, this is truly just a delicious drink. You can't even taste the alcohol. Again, 5% alcohol, but you can't even taste it because the drink tastes so freaking good. It has naturally occurring caffeine in the cafe latte flavor or... You can go with the chai latte flavor, which is caffeine-free if you're more of a decaf person. You can find the drinks all over the southeast from South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, in any stores like Harris Teeter, Publix, Total Wine, Trader Joe's, Food Line, guys. They're everywhere. If you can't find it, be sure to ask for it because they are taking over. If you want to learn more, be sure to check them out at drinknewground.com. Be sure to follow them on social media as well at Drink Newground. Again, that's Newground Hard Nitro Lattes imported from Holland. Be sure to check them out, drinknewground.com. And follow them on social media at Drink Newground. Let's get it.
welcome. I am Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in on this Thursday. Hope everyone's having a fantastic Thursday. And folks, I was just saying this to myself before we jumped on, before, before the mics got hot, if you will. What a show. What a show that we have for you guys today. You get the dub in basketball. Carolina Clemson baseball this weekend, breaking it down. And, oh, by the way, Grayson Griner, the interview for the pod. Folks, this is a good one. This is a damn good one. I'm excited. I'm fired up to record. I'm also very fired up because I just left Colonial Life Arena and watched South Carolina basketball get that huge, huge dub. Exhausting dub, to be honest. I, I, the first thing I had to do, if you saw the post, the post game I did on social media, I had to drink a beer when I got home. I was just like, my God, this, this was insane. Uh, before we get into everything, a couple housekeeping items, just a couple reminders. The Spurs Up Show watch party on Saturday night. Um, if you're in the Columbia area, let's say you're going to the Carolina Clemson game or you're just in the Columbia area, come out to Cotton Gin and Five Points watch party. Tip-off is at 8.30. We're going to be watching South Carolina take on Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Obviously, with the win over Georgia, all these games are important, but it becomes even more and more important now that now that you got that dub against the Dogs. So tip-offs at 8.30. Doors open at 8 o'clock. Guys, get out there. It's going to be a blast. I'm going to have a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to be slugging a ton of brews. We're going to be celebrating clinching the series against Clemson. I'm speaking that into existence right now. We're going to be do it. We're going to be get after it. That's Cotton Gin and Five Points. Doors open at 8. Tip-offs at 8.30. They're going to have the game on all the TVs upstairs and downstairs open it's going to be a blast i'm telling you get out there we're going to have a really really good time again doors at eight tip off at 8 30 cotton gin in five points also wanted to just make you guys aware because i know i didn't talk about the start of spring practice on the show yesterday i'm not talking about on today's pod either but tomorrow gonna have a full Spring practice preview, if you will, are things that I am looking for specifically in spring practice because there are about five or six different things I'm going to really be focused on. Also, be sure to check out the SEC podcast with Michael Bratton. We retweeted that on our – or we we shared that on our social media pages. I jumped on there with Michael Bratton and previewed South Carolina spring practice. I'll probably pull some clips for that and put it on social media. But I will be breaking it down on the Spurs Up show on this pod tomorrow. Tomorrow's show – going to be a full spring practice preview, full spring practice breakdown. So if you've been looking for that, just wanted to make you guys aware it is coming, I promise you. For now though, let's stick with the hardwood. Let's talk Gamecocks basketball. South Carolina with a thrilling overtime win over the Dogs, 94 to 90 at Colonial Life Arena. I mean, I left this game almost I don't know that I'm ever really speechless. I mean, obviously what I do, I, I kind of have to have words. But, man, I mean, as speechless as I could be. I mean, just an exhausted feeling. This game was – there were so many emotions in this game. The highest of highs, the lowest of lows. I thought for a second there, South Carolina's completely down and out. And then I thought for a second there, South Carolina's completely in control. I mean, this thing went back and forth. Back and forth. You know, it's funny, but in the preview, if you guys remember, I said that I expect this to be a much more back-and-forth game than last time. I did not think it would be a blowout. I just didn't know it'd be this close. I didn't think we'd be going into overtime. Georgia, tip of the cap to the dogs, not even really the dogs, but tip of the cap to Anthony Edwards, guys. I, I saw some things on social media that, hey, is Anthony Edwards overrated? He's not that good. And, you know, I'll be honest, even I question him a little bit after South Carolina. We really shut him down the last time we played him. But, man, he's a legitimate ball player. I, I mean, game, recognized game, give him credit. He was phenomenal. There, there's a reason that he is going to be the number one draft pick in the NBA draft. Some of the moves he put on out there, 
he was an NBA-type player playing on a college floor last night. So kudos to him. But South Carolina able to overcome, give these guys major, major problems. And I think the thing that every, all Gamecock fans are going to agree, the most, the most surprising thing was the way that it happened. I mean, South Carolina working inside to out. I mean, your big guys were what really saved you in this game. I mean, I think at halftime, your guards had three total points. You hadn't made a three all game. You look at the stat line. Alonzo Frank, what was in his Wheaties last night? Because, my goodness, 22 points. Lead South Carolina. Mike Coatsar, ho-hum, sir. Do your thing. 19 points, 10 rebounds. Unbelievable what he's done as a senior. Get the final charge call to basically seal the game for you. Unbelievable. Just another big defensive play he's made. Keyshawn, highlight reel. Bryant, my friends, 16 points, 10 rebounds, and a monster, monster. I mean, as good a dunk as you're going to see at any level, but especially from a college player, unbelievable. Put his Superman cape on. 16 points for him. Jalen McCreary, very underrated performance. Very underrated. 10 points on the night. In just 16 minutes, by the way. Went 5 of 5 from the field. What a night. Jermaine Kuznar eventually picking it up. A.J. Lawson with 10 points. Kuznar with 13. But this night was really about the bigs. Last night was really about the bigs for South Carolina. And, again, what a game they had. You know, this game, you can look at it statistically, and obviously what we're doing now, you can look at it statistically, break down the numbers. South Carolina shooting 48% from the field. They shot just 19% from three. 62% 62% from free throw, line, free throw line, and my God, was it agonizing to watch those dudes shoot free throws late. Oh, my God. I mean, whoo. <laughs> you know, I posed the question on social media, and I meant it. I mean, what would you rather do than watch South Carolina shoot free throws? I mean, literally anything. The best answer, look at doorknob in China. I'm right there with you. I mean, it just – it was – it's literally gotten the point, especially in that game when it was close and there was things on the line. There, there were things, like, at stake. I almost like cringe. Like I, I, I'm not even kidding. Like I want to look away when we shoot free throws because it's so hard to watch. It's almost like secondhand embarrassment watching us shoot free throws. But getting back to my original point, you can talk about the stats, how we shot, you know, Georgia shooting 42 and 20, 20, uh, 28, 42 and 28 from the field, 77% three long, all that good stuff, all those stats, they matter. But what stood out to me in this game goes beyond statistics. It really does. The fight, and and I've never questioned it, but just another example of this team showing its character, its fight, its resiliency. Because again, there were many times in that game where I was like, "Man, maybe this just isn't our night, or maybe Georgia's going to pull away here and get us." And you know, South Carolina just overcame. I mean, again, it won a game that I don't know that I can look at any other game this season and say that we've won a game that way. This was an uncharacteristic method of winning this ball game, and you found a way. Anyways, again, Alonzo Frank with twenty-two points. I mean, that, that just, just, tip, you know, round of applause. Mike Coatsar with nineteen. Round of applause. Keyshawn Bryant sixteen. I mean, that's not how you've won games. AJ Lawson and uh, Jermaine Kuznar went three of eleven from three-point range combined. They made five shots total on the night, and you still won the game. Unbe- I mean, dude, guys, it's unbelievable. I was sitting in there like, this is, this is wild. And I know, I know Frank, uh, 
Frank cited in the post game that basically Georgia was playing five guards, so you can take advantage of their size. And I get all that, and I agree with him. But, man, I was just sitting in the building just like, man, this is shocking. I, I mean, I can't. I mean, if you'd have told me that at halftime South Carolina's guards would have three points total, I'd have told you we were losing by 20. No question. I'd have said we're losing this game by 20 points. No doubt. But Carolina found a way to win. And, again, I think it's so impressive, too, because it shows the, the resiliency, the fight, the character, especially coming off back-to-back losses where you lost your last game on your home floor. You know, you fought really hard in two straight games and you came out on the losing end, but you still find – and listen, I know some fans are saying, oh, my God, Georgia was 4-10 and 10 in conference. Like, they're so bad. Like, God, we must be terrible. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat it and say that, you know, we played great or that we look like a great team out there. You know, that, you know flat out, you know, we, there's a lot to fix. We got to play a lot better. Saturday against Bama if we expect to get the win. But not all wins are built equally in the SEC, and a win is a win is a win in conference. It really doesn't matter. With the parity of college basketball and the SEC, you know, truly being as deep as it is. I mean, Georgia's as bad as they are, and they have the number one player in in college basketball on their team. So, I mean, if that tells you anything. So – just to be able to pull out the win. Again, not all these wins are built the same. You're not going to beat everybody by 15 points every time you play them. Even the Georgias of the world. Hell of a win. It's a hell of a win. You know, kudos to, kudos to Frank Martin and his guys. Again, I, I'm – man, I mean, that game, I, I walked out of that building just like, wow. I just thoroughly impressed and just wow. Just un, unreal. I can't believe the way South Carolina won the game, I guess. That, that's really what threw me for a loop. But, man, it feels good to beat Georgia, to hell with Georgia. You know, Georgia, Georgia loves losing to us in overtime, no matter the sport. And, man, if we can beat the dogs two out of three in baseball, I think we can officially say we own the dogs right now. It feels pretty good. But, uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's one you had to have. They all are at this point. And again, to me, to bounce back from back-to-back losses and show that resiliency and grittiness and toughness and, you know, getting knocked down, having the, having the courage to get back up, that, that, was, that was fun to watch. The one thing I will say, and I, I want to bring it up and highlight it because a lot of people have reached out to me about it, and it's something I noticed during the game. You know, <coughs> obviously this game – meant a lot had a lot on had a lot on the line whatever they all do at this point but man Frank Martin was on one I, I mean I don't know I don't know if it was because of what was on the line or he had a bad day or they were just pissing him off that much but I've told you guys before Frank Martin's a good coach don't get me wrong I think he's a good basketball coach but he's a psycho he is a psychopath I truly felt bad for Jair Bolden I mean this dude got eviscerated last night torn to pieces last night granted whatever he said worked to the to the the team Jair Bolden didn't have a good night he had zero points but to the team it worked but man Frank was on something last night that 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 shit was wild he I mean it's so funny because in basketball like you can hear everything they're saying right I mean we're not we don't have sellout crowds where it's like right at least right now where it's like 
uh, it's like deafening in there where you can't hear what the coach is saying. I mean, you can clearly hear what Frank's saying. So, again, like Frank, good coach, but he's kind of crazy. I think we can all at least laugh that off and admit it. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, he, he was on one. He, he was on one last night. But, again, it worked. You get the dub, 94 to 90. You just kind of keep trucking along. 17 and 11 overall now, 9 and 6 in the conference. You face Alabama on Saturday at their place. We're going to watch South kind of get the dub at Cotton Gym, by the way. But you face Alabama at their place Saturday. Mississippi State at home Tuesday. That'll be a big game, a big one, because they beat you last time. That'll be a big one. Got to get revenge and then at Vanderbilt um, to close it out, which, like I said, not all wins in the SEC are built equally, and that'll be a tough road trip. But kind of crazy to think we only got three regular season games left. What a season it's been. But, uh, no, it's a big one. I mean, again, you you had every – Every reason to lose. I mean, there were many chances where you could have lost it, and instead you took it and won it. I mean, I, I'll say almost kind of the same thing I said about the baseball win on Tuesday night. Hey, it wasn't pretty the whole time, but I'll take a, a an ugly 94-90 to 90 overtime win than a pretty one any day of the week. You know, you, you, you very easily could have been on the other side of this thing. So, kudos to this Gamecocks team. I do want to say, too, I was critical of the free throw shooting. Very much deserved. But this team was clutched down the stretch. Nine of 13, their last 13 free throws. Jermaine Kuznar made some big ones. Mike Kotsar made some big ones. So, shout out to those guys. I don't know what happened. You just lock in. I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, you found a way. And that's what's important, at least on that night. This team has flaws. This team has deficiencies. There's no doubting that. I'm not arguing that point with anyone. But what this team also does have, is fight, resiliency, and to win a game like that, you have to have character. And to win games like South Carolina's had, you have to have high character. And, uh, you know, really fun to watch. It was really fun to watch. And like I said, anytime you beat Georgia in any sport, doesn't matter what it is, it's it's a good night. And uh, it was a stressful one. (laughs) It was a stressful one, I ain't going to lie. But it was a good night at CLA, and we will damn take that victory and run with it. I can tell you that much right now. So, uh, good stuff. Again, Cox get the win. Good, good stuff to hell with Georgia, 100%. Um, all right, let's move into baseball. We're talking South Carolina Clemson. I'm so fired up for this weekend, guys. You, you guys know me. I'm so, 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 so pumped. I get about as pumped as this. I'll say I do. I get as pumped for this as I do for the football game. I, I am jacked up, fired up. Before we get into everything, though, I want to tell you about my friends over at Ag South Farm Credit because the Spurs Up show is brought to you by our friends at Ag South Farm Credit. Guys, most lenders don't understand land financing. Ag South Farm Credit specializes in land financing and has been doing it for over 100 years. They make loans for small and large acreage, hunting property, timberland, farm and pastureland, even home mortgages and construction. They have a ton of great benefits, including long-term fixed rate financing for 20 years, down payments as low as 15%. They have competitive rates, and they pay an average of 25% of the interest back every year as what they call patronage. They're cooperatives, so they share in their profits with their member borrowers. So, guys, for example, on a $300,000 loan at 6.5% for 20 years, you would get back $2,770 each year. They have an experienced lending staff that knows land and knows how to finance it. Guys, whether you're buying your first house, your dream house, a plot of land, whatever it may be, when you're making a big-time life decision like this, we know it can be stressful, it can be strenuous, you're spending a lot of money, you're just making a big-time decision, right? You want to make sure 
you have the right people surrounding you. You have the right support system. Someone who's going to answer all your questions. Take some of the stress off of you. When you're looking for a lender, Ag South Farm Credit, guys, they are the way to go. The people are amazing. Like I said, they're going to be there with you every single step of the way, basically holding your hand throughout the entire process. They're going to answer all of your questions for you, and they're just going to make life much, much easier on you throughout this process. One of the questions they get asked most often, when someone wants to buy some land, whatever it may be, their family, their spouse, then, you know, just an individual, whatever. When someone wants to buy land, what are the options on land loans, right? What are the options on land loans? So Ag South Farm Credit offers everything commercial banks offer, like balloon loans, but they also offer longer term fixed rate loans. So instead of a balloon loan where your interest rate expires and you risk your rate increasing, a fixed rate can never go up but it can be lowered if the market allows, which is a great thing. The type of loan you get depends on how fast you want to pay it off and what you think your future cash flow is going to be like. So guys, for more information on the type of land loans they offer, give them a call, 844-AG-SOUTH, or visit their website, agsouthfc.com slash T-S-U-S. Again, that's A-G-S-O-U-T-H-F-C dot com slash T-S-U-S. Ag South and Equal Housing Lender, NMLS, 619-788. So again, their website, agsouthfc.com slash T-S-U-S or give them a call, 844-AG-SOUTH and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. All right, let's talk some baseball, baby. I'm fired up. I am fired up for this weekend. Going to be at all three games first off. I, I'm so excited. Uh, was at all three games for the first time in my life, you know, to go the entire series weekend last year. Obviously, Gamecocks take two of three. So I'm pumped. I, I'm jacked up for this for real. But let's dive right into it. Clemson, obviously, the ACC, their head coach, Monty Lee, um, who if you're a big Gamecock baseball fan, you are very, very, very familiar with Monty Lee, obviously coached with South Carolina back in the early to mid-2000s, um, went to College of Charleston, and then obviously got the Clemson job. Um, Monty Lee's status at Clemson, though, very much up in the air. Um, a situation for sure where I know the Tigers fans are frustrated. I think if you see Clemson – especially if they don't make the postseason. But uh, I think another early postseason exit, he's going to be certainly on the hot seat if not fired, which sounds crazy to me. I like Monty Lee. Everyone you talk to, he's a very well-respected guy across the state of South Carolina as a damn good baseball coach. But for whatever reason, things just have not clicked in Clemson. But either way, he is their head coach in 2019, a season ago. Clemson went 25-26, and 15-15 and 15 in conference. They were picked to finish fifth in the ACC Atlantic this year by D1Baseball.com. So not exactly glowing reviews coming in this year, and there's reasons for that, which I'm going to get to in just a second. And as, as of right now, the Tigers are 7-1. and one. They actually just lost their first game of the year in the midweek on Tuesday to East Tennessee State University, 5-3, to three, which obviously set off Clemson Twitter, and it was glorious, and it was fun to look at and all that good stuff. You take a look at this Clemson team, though, and we'll start with what is undoubtedly this team's strength, at least so far, and that is their pitching staff. 1.23 team ERA. Guys, coming into the midweek game Tuesday, 0.7 team ERA, 0.7. In last weekend's uh, weekend series against Stony Brook, their pitching staff gave up just one unearned run. Obviously gave up three against East Tennessee State, but um, – Gave up just one unearned run in the entire weekend last weekend against Stony Brook. They did lose Jacob Hennessy in the preseason to an arm injury. Uh, pretty dependable left-handed pitcher, was a senior veteran. He's now on the coaching staff, I believe, as, a, as an assistant, sort of how Sawyer Bridges is now. 
But the pitching staff has certainly been the strength of this Clemson team thus far. Uh, you take a look at their starting rotation. They'll roll out there Friday. Left-handed pitcher Sam Weatherly, who's 1-0 with a .9 ERA. Saturday, right-handed pitcher Davis Sharp, who's 1-0 with a 0 ERA. And Sunday, right-handed pitcher Spencer Strider, who's 0-0 with a 0 ERA. So, obviously, those ERAs extremely low. I mean, you have to think, who has Clemson played? They've played Liberty. They've played Stony Brook. They've played – you know, a lot of small teams like South Carolina. But those numbers, no matter how you slice them, very impressive. Again, 1.23 team ERA. I haven't looked at the national rankings, but that's got to be up there with one of the best team ERAs in the entire country. On the flip side, the hitting has been a struggle. The hitting has been a struggle for this Clemson team. And it's funny, you know, looking on social media and looking at different Clemson fans and talking with different Clemson fans, they tell you that hitting has been a struggle. But you take a deep dive in the stats, and it is really shocking to me how bad they've been offensively. I mean, a 243 team average, which isn't good. It could be worse, but, I mean, it's not good, obviously. But only two home runs as a team in eight games. Two. I mean, that's that's mind-blowing to me. Two home runs. They're only averaging three runs per game against the competition they play. Again, the pitching for them has been phenomenal. But even in, against Liberty, I mean, they, those guys are winning games one nothing. Two nothing. I mean, three to one. Like, not exactly a score that's going to make you feel good if you're a Clemson fan. So, the hitting has definitely been a struggle. And you take a look at who they lost, and you kind of say, hmm, now I can see why. They lost Grayson Bird, Kyle Wilkie, and Logan Davis in all the draft, amongst some other guys as well. But those being the big three that they lost from last year's team, um, it's been a struggle. And, again, I know Clemson's going to be trying to find it this weekend against South Carolina, but it has been a real, real struggle for Tiger hitters and the Tiger offense this year, no question. You take a look at the players to watch for for Clemson. Here's just a couple. Kier Meredith hitting 444 on the year. He leads their team. Uh, really good guy there at the top of their lineup, so keep an eye on him. Elijah Henderson as well, 407 average outfielder for the Tigers. Four RBIs on the year, three for three in stolen bases. So, if he does get on, you know, Clemson's not a team that runs a ton. Uh, they're 15 for 18 in stolen bases, so pretty good when they do go. Um, but Henderson and Dylan Brewer, uh, who, who is another outfielder, both tied with three stolen bases. Those guys are both three for three. So definitely one of the speed threats for Clemson on the bases. And then Adam Hackenberg, 276 average, but leads the Tigers with seven RBIs. And when you think of how few runs Clemson has scored, I mean, you take a look. How many runs they've scored? They've scored 24 runs on this season. He has seven of the RBIs. So that's a pretty impressive number <clears throat> when you think of just how little Clemson has scored this year. So, again, pitching good, hitting bad. What's going to give this weekend? You take a look at USC. Obviously, the Gamecocks rolling out the same starting rotation they have with Carmen Friday, Brett on Saturday, and Brandon Jordan on Sunday. What to watch for this weekend? You know, for me, it all starts with, listen, guys, just the drama of rivalry weekend. Carolina Clemson, there's no rivalry better in college baseball, in the country, period. But college baseball terms, there is no better rivalry. This is it. This is the mecca of all the rivalries. You know, every single year, this rivalry, it never fails either with the drama, with the suspense with everything else. You know, this is one where if you've got to get fired up for this week, and especially, I mean, listen, I'm not even going to speak on the guys on the team or the coaches because that's a given. But 
if you have to get fired up for this weekend, you just you don't have a pulse. You you don't have a pulse if you're not fired up for this weekend. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be again drama filled. The emotions will be high. It truly has the feeling, especially when since since they went to the three game format, it has a super regional feeling to it. I mean, I find myself not saying that I'm not like this in the SEC series too, but this this weekend just hits different. This weekend you're hanging on every single pitch. Similar to like a super regional type feel or a college world series feel even. You are hanging on the balance of every single pitch. Every pitch matters. Again, not to say that it doesn't every other weekend, but this weekend, like I talked with Bobby Haney, it's just got a little bit of juice to it. It's got a little more juice to it than a normal weekend. So the drama, the suspense, folks, I think we're in for an, another just classic South Carolina Clemson weekend on the diamond. Um, Speaking specifically on the field, I'll be watching for. If you're a fan of pitching, guys, this just might be your weekend. And, and I'm obviously, I'm a huge fan of pitching. I'd love to see our hitters tear up their arms, though. But if you were a fan of pitching overall, South Carolina's starting rotation has been very, very good this year. Clemson's entire pitching staff, including their starting rotation, has been phenomenal. We may see three, three to two, four to three, two to one type games. It might be that kind of weekend. I mean, honestly, the arms are going to be at a premium this weekend. So it's all going to come down to the little things as far as pitching is concerned. Who doesn't walk, guys? Who doesn't make the mental mistakes of, you know, getting behind 2-0, 3-0 with two outs and nobody on? Who makes the mental mistake of hitting a guy? Those small mistakes – that's what's going to be the difference in this game, in this series as far as on the mound's concerned because both these staffs are good. Both these staffs are really, really good. One thing for South Carolina specifically on their staff that I know I'm going to be watching for and everybody else will be, will be as well is can you depend on your bullpen? In a series like this where, again, a lot of drama, there's going to be a lot of situations that are high stress, you need a solid, better than solid, your bullpen needs to be excellent. And obviously the Gamecocks, they've had some struggles with the bullpen. I'm still a huge believer in, and I'm very optimistic of the back end of this Gamecocks bullpen. I think the stuff they have back there is as, is as good as anybody in the country. But you have to be able to throw strikes. you got to be able to fill the zone. You can't walk, guys. We've seen that in different situations with Graham Lawson, with Danny Lloyd. Can't happen this weekend. It just absolutely can't. So can you depend on your bullpen? We're going to all be keeping a very, very close eye because I feel good about your starters. I feel good about your starters. Carmen, obviously, tomorrow night, I feel great about him. At, at home, too, I, I feel phenomenal about his start. Brett Carey on Saturday, feel good. It seems like him and him, both Brett Carey and Brandon Jordan, feel good about him, just need to keep the ball down. It's the biggest thing, but they should be fine. I feel good about those guys. The bullpen, though. The bullpen, the middle innings, they got to come through for you. They got to come through for you this weekend. Another thing I'll be watching for, you know, I, I talked about these pitching staffs and I talked about the strength of Clemson, and it is their pitching. Well, something's got to give. Can USC crack the Clemson staff? That's what I have here written down in my notes. Can USC hitters crack Clemson staff? Can they, can they figure out the code? That is the Clemson pitching staff. Again, 
you take a look at the Clemson starters, the ERAs, point nine zero and zero. I mean, you know, that's that's legit. Again, I don't care who you're facing. I don't care who the competition is. Those are some big-time numbers. I'll be very intrigued to see what the approaches are like, you know, because in a series like this, you can you need to stay within yourself. It's kind of like I talked about early in the week. Hey, if you're a home, if you're not a home run hitter, don't try to be don't try to be something you're not. Know what your strengths are and play to it. Don't try to get too big or be a hero because it's the Clemson series. It's still baseball. Play to your strengths. Stick to what you're good at. Stay up the middle. Stay right side. I expect to see, honestly, with, with, with Clemson's staff being a strength, I expect to see South Carolina put the, ball, put the ball in motion, put runners in motion, use the small ball. I do. I, I really expect to see it because I think runs could be at a premium. But I also think South Carolina obviously has a huge power advantage. I mean, I mean, Clemson with just two home runs. I mean, hell, South Carolina had two home runs on Tuesday alone. So you've got a huge power advantage. I still like this team as far as the approach, as far as, you know, Mark Kingston cited this, I believe, yesterday, that his team is hitting the ball very, very hard. You know, even when they're making outs, they're hard outs. You keep making swings like that, they're going to fall. But this weekend – and it kind of leads to my next point as far as what I'm looking for. You know, th- this weekend is not going to define your season necessarily. It's not. Because, I mean, hell, look at last year. <laughs> you beat Clemson 2-3 or three and you whip them on Sunday and we're all feeling good about everything and then the season goes down the drain. Obviously, you lost Carmen that series as well, which had a huge impact. But, again, this series is not going to define your season. But we're going to learn a lot. There's just no question. We're going to learn a lot about both teams. We're going to learn a lot about South Carolina's hitters. We're going to learn about their pitching staff, their bullpen, how they handle pressure. Because, again, this is – especially for these new guys. Especially for these new guys. This is going to be something completely different for them. This is, this is foreign territory for these new guys. So, we're going to learn a lot about both squads for sure. And it brings me to my final point, which I kind of just touched on a second ago. The thing that I'm looking for, and maybe the question of the weekend, is just which young team handles the moment. Both these teams have a lot of fresh faces. Both these teams are depending on a lot of new guys this year in this 2020 season. Which team of young guys handles it the best? Because, again, this is the kind of weekend where – these guys are going to feel something different they haven't felt all season. And they're probably going to feel something different they've never felt playing baseball before, and just period. And, again, at the end of the day, it is baseball. And you'll settle in and you'll play your game. But the emotions of this weekend, there's nothing that can compare to it. And I know that the older guys that South Carolina has, the Graham Lawsons, the Andrew Eisters, the Brady Allens, the Noah Campbells, you know, the Carmens, all those guys, Brett Carey, they're all going to be giving advice to these younger guys. But, you know, you think of South Carolina, guys like Brandon Jordan, Braylon Wimmer, Noah Myers, Jeff Heinrich, Colin Burge. I mean, the list goes on and on. And, again, not all those guys are in-state guys, but it's just a different – again, talking with Bobby Haney. He's from New York. He didn't have any idea about the Carolina Clemson rivalry, but when you get into it, you find out very, very fast, and that hate sets in. So which of these teams is going to handle the moment the best? 
I think that'll which which teams which of these teams embrace the moment. That's going to tell you a lot, obviously, as well. My key player for the weekend. You know, I, I went back and forth on this one. <sighs> went back and forth on this one. My key player of the weekend, and and there's just a lot of different candidates, offensively, defensively, whatever. You know, I think Carmen's a huge key this week, and I, I think I think winning that Friday night game is going to be imperative to winning this series. I mean, th- this year is in your favor because you play at Founders Park Friday night at 7. Saturday, you're at Sagra Park in Columbia at 3 o'clock first pitch. So, I mean, you got two games in Columbia. And then Sunday, obviously, you're in Clemson 2 o'clock to finish out the series. To me, winning that Friday night game is so imperative. You look offensively, a guy like Wes Clark, I think still needs to continue to be big in the middle of the line. I think a guy like Noah Myers being a leadoff for you, he could be a huge key. Noah Campbell, George Khalil defensively and offensively. But to me, when I look, the key player for this weekend, and I mentioned a little bit earlier just how important the bullpen is, in a series like this where there's going to be a lot of high pressure, a lot of stressful moments, a lot of moments you're going to need to get an out. You're going to need to make a pitch. You're going to have to turn to a guy like Danny Lloyd. You're just going to have to. And he's going to be my key player of the weekend. I think you'll see him more than once. I mean, listen, I'd love to see him none. That means we're kicking their ass. (laughs) I mean, I'd love to not see him at all. But in reality, you're going to see Danny Lloyd. You got to be able to depend on him. There's going to be – he's going to have to make high-pressure pitches. Again, I expect to probably see him twice. He's going to have to make high-pressure pitches in high-pressure situations. Stuff is there. 95, 96, then 87, 88 mile an hour slider. The stuff is there. Got to throw strikes. Got to embrace the moment. We saw him last year as a freshman. Didn't always embrace the moment like you'd like to see. And again, he was a true freshman. Not holding it against him. He's got to elevate his game to another level. Though. That entire bullpen does, but it's all started. It's all led, in my opinion, by Danny Lloyd. He's the dude. He is the dude. When you're the closer, you're the dude. He's got an opportunity to really, I think, make South Carolina fans feel good again about the state of the bullpen. Because, again, listen, I'm not worried at all. He's got the stuff. Stuff's there. Know the kid. Know his family. Great makeup. Great people. Got good character. Everything. No worries. No worries for this kid. He's going to have a ton of success. But this weekend, they need him to be the dude. No no question in my mind. They're going to turn to him a lot, and when he gets his number called, he needs to deliver. So – I think Danny Lloyd is your key player for the weekend. My prediction overall for the series. You know, it's it's kind of funny coming in this one because I think both fan bases. I think both fan bases are very, very, very nervous right now. Which is really interesting. I think both fan bases are are very nervous. Um you know, Clemson has not been able to hit worth a damn. I mean, they're seven and one, but again, they're averaging three runs a game, y'all. They haven't been able to hit. And then South Carolina has just been so so damn inconsistent. And you know, you lose a series in Northwestern, that's obviously going to set everything off. Um so both teams have had their problems, and it's like both teams' fan bases are 
are sweating a little bit, sweating early, especially with South Carolina coming off the season they had a year ago. And Clemson had a bad year, too. I mean, listen, they, they had a bad year. But both fan bases are sweating, which I think is crazy. But I'll be honest with you guys. I mean, I have not lost faith in this team. I still think this is a, a good ball club. The Northwestern series was what it was. It, it sucks. It stunk. I already covered all that and broke it all down. I'm still very optimistic about this team, though. And, and to be honest with you, I, I feel great about this weekend. I, I really do. I, I mean, <clears throat> I, I, to be honest with you, our pitching should have a field day. I, listen, I'll eat my words. I'll eat crow if they don't. But our pitching should have a field day on these guys. Carmen Majinski, hey, tomorrow night at Founders Park, my game plan is you hand Mr. Majinski the ball and say, hey, man, go get him, Dave. You can go nine. It's yours. Take it. It's your game. We will let you go as long as you can go, as long as you want to go. As long as your stuff's still good, we're keeping you in. Bottom line. I think Carmen can eat. I think Brett and Brandon can both eat. I hope to see Thomas Farr this weekend. He needs to pitch. TJ Shook, he needs to pitch. Graham Lawson and Danny Lloyd can eat too. They just got to throw strikes. Julian Bosnick might need to get in there and pitch. Get a lefty. Get your lefty out. And then overall, offensively, I know how good Clemson has been. I know how good Clemson has been as far as their ERA, their pitching staff. It's going to be a challenge for South Carolina. Again, I expect at least one of these games, if not a couple, to be lower-scoring type games where runs are are tough to come by. But I don't know. Two games in Columbia. You won this series a year ago. You have your guy this year, Carmen, and, he, and he's throwing his – but, you know, last year when Carmen went, he was struggling. He, You know, he was a different guy. This year you've got good Carmen going. I mean, he, he's – the way he's spinning the baseball, you know, this is knock on wood – but I, I'd just be shocked if they if South Carolina lost that game tomorrow night at Founders Park. I I'd be and that's why I said I think it's so imperative to to win it because I find it hard to think of how they're going to lose it. To be perfectly honest with you, so I've got South Carolina winning this series two out of three. I, I really think they could sweep. I, I just I don't know how Clemson's going to hit South Carolina's pitching. I really don't, and I think the Gamecocks will be able to score just enough. South Carolina has something Clemson doesn't, which is power. And, I mean, this is by far the best offensive team this Clemson pitching staff has faced. There's no doubt. There's no denying that. There's no debating that. Even with the struggles, this team's hitting 280. Even with the struggles. (coughs) Delete that. Even with the struggles, uh, this team top to bottom has got a ton of good hitters, scary one through nine. So I think South Carolina will score enough, and I think the pitching dominates this weekend. So I've got South Carolina winning the series two out of three, winning the rivalry series for the second year in a row, and hopefully using this weekend again to sort of learn a little bit more about yourself and you know kind of get the ball rolling because you got this series – Two midweekers next week, a non-conference series, I think another midweek, and then you're in SEC play. I mean, it gets real serious real fast. So, you know, use this series to learn about yourself but get some momentum, and I think South Carolina will. I do – I just – I feel 
very, very confident. I, I feel, for whatever reason, again, I feel very confident. feel really good about this one. So, I've got the Gamecocks winning two of three, and I think the two – I think the two will be Friday, Saturday. I think South Carolina wins both the Columbia games. If they lose a third, it'd be the one in Clemson. But I feel good about it. I, I think South Carolina wins it. I think they win two or three in the series. So, it should be a lot of fun. All right, got a couple listener questions here, and then we'll get into our interview with Grayson Griner. Uh, first question, CP3 underscore presents. Can Birch single-handedly make this Gamecock defense dominant? And what's your season prediction? So, obviously, again, tomorrow I'll be talking a lot more about Spring practice and really, you know, my, my thoughts on Jordan Birch, going to mention him in there as well, but can he single-handedly do it? No. He's going to need help. Zach Pickens needs to step up defensively. Rick Sanders needs to step up. Aaron Sterling, J.J. Nickbari need to have big years for this team. At the linebacker position, Sherrod Green, Ernest Jones, J.C. Horn and Israel McCormick in the secondary, Jamie Robinson in the secondary. He's going to need help. He's going to need other guys. He can certainly be – a piece of a, do- a dominant defense, but he's not going to single-handedly like a Jadavion. Even Jadavion Clowney wasn't a one-man wrecking crew. I mean, you have to remember who Clowney was surrounded by. It's not just going to be a one-guy thing. It's got to be all 11 of those guys. So I think he can certainly help. I think he can be a big impact, but it's not just going to be a one-man wrecking crew of Jordan Birch. Uh, Mason underscore Crow 48. Can we let this season play out before fans start screaming fire Kingston like, damn? <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I agree with you. I, I, I appreciate the frustration because fans expect excellence, and I get that. But definitely, baseball is a long season. You got to let it play out. Let's see what happens. If, if South, Listen, if South Carolina misses the postseason this year in baseball, I, I will say 100% throw all of your frustration, negativity, whatever at Kingston because he'll deserve it at that point. But let's see if that happens. Um, let's see. Let's see. Last question. CP3 underscore presents. What is the Achilles heel with this Gamecocks basketball team besides free throw troubles? Hmm. The Achilles heel is bad defense at the perimeter. I, I mean, I, you know, it's just, I mean, obviously you already took free throw shooting, but I just think the defense, porous defense, you know, at the point of attack, as far as on the perimeter, I mean, that's what kills this team. You know, when you're getting, you know, you're getting outshot from the free the three-point line. It's just hard to win games. So, hold your own defensively outside. Make a few free throws. You're going to be all right. But to me, that's the other Achilles heel for sure. But, uh, no, it's going to be a fun finish this season. I mean, we got three SEC games, three games left in the SEC tournament. It's going to be drama-filled drama filled and, and dramatic, if nothing else, for sure. All right. Got a fantastic interview, guys. Former Gamecocks catcher. Current Detroit Tigers catcher, Grayson Griner. Grayson, phenomenal dude. Really appreciate him taking the time. We had a fantastic conversation. We talk about his USC career, which was phenomenal. He went to the College World Series, had a couple walk-off grand slams in his time, beat Clemson, had a great career in Garnet and Black, and then also his current time right now with Detroit. He's actually at spring training down in Florida. So, again, really appreciate him taking that time away from his busy schedule. It's a great interview, guys. Be sure to stay tuned. Check it out. And it's all brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. Guys, if you need tickets to any of the Carolina Clemson baseball games this weekend, South Carolina basketball, football, concerts, comedy club events, professional sporting events, you name it, go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. That's S-P-R-S-U-P to save $20 off your first purchase. Guys, SeatGeek has tickets to literally anything and everything. Like I said, 
It doesn't have to be Gamecock sporting events, but they've got that. Hey, concerts. Post Malone is Saturday night. If you are going to that and you're not going to come to my watch party, just know that I'm very mad at you. But if you're going to that and you need tickets, you can save $20. I know those tickets are expensive. Any professional sporting event, MLB, NHL, NBA, uh, XFL, if you want to go watch that, the NFL, whatever it is, you can get tickets to whatever you like. They've got a great ticket rating system which rates the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So, guys, SeatGeek does all the work for you. There's none of this scalping. You don't have to determine, oh, what am I paying versus what are they paying, yada, yada, yada. SeatGeek's going to show you exactly where you're sitting, what you're paying, the type of deal you're getting. You're going to know up front, am I getting ripped off? Am I getting a steal? Whatever. They're going to do all of that work for you, so all you have to do is click that buy button, and when you do click it, all you have to worry about is having a good time at the event. They're going to give you that peace of mind. It's so awesome how SeatGeek has just simplified the ticket buying process. So, again, that's our friends at SeatGeek. Be sure to go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks catcher Grayson Griner. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up Show is a man that played for Gamecocks baseball from 2012 to 2014. During his career, he hit 278, had 18 home runs and 120 RBIs. The accolades, there's a long list of them. In 2012, he was a freshman All-American, second-team All-SEC in 2013, SEC All-Defensive Team in 2014. He was also named to the USA Collegiate Baseball National Team in 2012 and 2013. In 2014, he was drafted by the Detroit Tigers in the third round of the MLB draft and is currently a catcher for the Detroit Tigers, busy with spring training, getting ready for another upcoming season. I'm very pleased to be joined by former Gamecocks catcher and current Detroit Tigers catcher, Grayson Griner. Grayson, appreciate you taking the time, in. It's a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Those uh, those make me sound a lot better than I actually am, so thank you. <laughs> no, no, well-deserved. So I, I want to go back to the beginning for you, Grayson, way back to your high school days, because I think it's interesting mm-hmm. for those that maybe forgot or don't know. You're a kid from Columbia, South Carolina. You played your high school baseball at Blythewood. Um, obviously mm-hmm. a very highly regarded prospect in high school. Just kind of talk about your recruitment, if you will. I know, you know, obviously college baseball recruiting starts so early. Um, but just talk about yeah. the recruiting process for you. Obviously, you're coming up in the middle of South Carolina's in the middle of this great run. Was it ever a question for you? I mean, did you ever have any doubt that you were going to South Carolina? I mean, just talk about that recruiting process. Um, not really. I um my freshman year uh, of high school, I went on some visits to Georgia, North Carolina, Clemson, College of Charleston, and South Carolina. I did like kind of a a camp series, like five straight weekends, went to those five different camps and um, saw all the campuses and everything. And I really, I, I actually fell in love with Georgia um, pretty quickly when I went on that visit. And uh, after that visit, um, Coach Holbrook and Coach Tanner uh, called me up and said, "Hey, uh, if you if you commit to us, we'll uh, we'll kind of hold off on on uh, recruiting any other catchers in your class." And I sat down with my parents, and I was like, "I'm probably going to end up going to Carolina anyways. I might as well just commit now." <laughs> and it turned out turned out to be you know probably the best decision of my life. I uh, you know my dad played basketball there, my grandfather played football there. I I lived closer to my college campus than my high school campus, so I kind of always kind of always knew I was going to end up there and it, it's been it was a dream of mine since I was a little kid yeah I was going to say um, I, my I, <laughs> Andy Demetra when he was the radio guy here I remember he did a story I, I wrote a letter to my mom when I was eight years old saying I'm going to play at Carolina and play in the big league so it was a <laughs> she has that framed up in in her bedroom which is pretty cool just when I was 
when I was eight, I pretty much knew what I wanted to do. And it's pretty <laughs> cool. I'm very blessed that, that it turned out like that. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I was going to say, I mean, your dad, Mark, obviously lettered in basketball 73 to 76. And like you said, your grandfather playing, uh, playing football, Carolina, it seemed like you were pretty much destined to be a Gamecock, no question. No doubt. I've, I mean, I'm the biggest, biggest Gamecock sports fan there is. I, I follow, follow all the sports all the time. Um, you know, I watch every basketball game, obviously every football game. And when I can, I keep track with the baseball team, see how they're doing. And, uh, I just, I just always, always wanted to play there. And it was, it was really cool. My junior and senior years getting to watch them win national championships and uh, get to walk in as a freshman and, and go to a national championship. It was a, it was very special. You know, I, I made lifelong friendships that are still some of my best friends to this day. Yeah, I was going to say, it had to make you feel pretty good about the decision uh, to go to South Carolina. And ask you about that. So you get on campus, obviously, <clears throat> fall of 2011. Um, or, or Yeah, mm-hmm. fall, fall of 2011. You know, again, you're talking about a program that's just coming off back-to-back national championships. There's, you know, even before then, you know, I was talking with somebody else, even before then, you know, the expectation of South Carolina baseball has always been excellence, getting to Omaha, you know, the whole nine yards. Just talk about, though, you're coming in as a true freshman. I, I mean, what was that like, I guess, jumping into that culture of, you know, I mean, excellence. It's winning. I mean, it, it's back-to-back national titles. There's no question what the goal is in your freshman season. Yeah, you got to you kind of got to flip the switch from being a fan to to being a contributor. <laughs> I remember I remember I don't know, probably first or second weekend my freshman year having to go out of the mound and talk to Michael Roth and this was this was a couple months or maybe 8 9 months after watching him do what he did out in Omaha and I had to I had to figure out what to say to a to a senior that you know has every accolade in the books where I'm just a freshman trying to to find my way. So uh I had to grow up real quick and, you know, the winning culture that guys like Michael and Christian and Evan, all those guys, they taught us how to win and how to, how to do things the right way. And obviously getting to play for Coach Sander was, was a blessing. So, um, yeah, you have to grow up quick. It's a, it's a different game from high school. It's you go from being the best player on your team and one of the best players in the state to being just another guy trying to, trying to compete. So, um, there's a lot of lot of growing up quick you have to do at the college level, and it and it expedites even more once you get in the pro ball. Yeah, you brought up Coach Tanner. Just just talk about your first interactions with him. Obviously, again, committing as a freshman, I know that relationship was building for quite some time. But uh, we know he can be tough. He obviously demands the best out of his guys. But just talk about uh, you know when you first got to South Carolina. I guess those first interactions with Coach Ray Tanner. Uh, I guess my uh, first interactions uh, would have been freshman year of high school I remember going to a camp over at Sarge Fry and then um you know once they built the new stadium walking around with a hard hat with him and coach Holbrook just seeing what the what the new stadium was going to be um he's he's a lot friendlier when he's recruiting you than when he's coaching you when he's <laughs> when he's coaching you he's a he's tough to play for but he expects the best out of his players and um you know he's carried that into the athletic athletics department he expects the best from all his teams and um he's a he's a great man a great leader uh, i talk to him to this day and and see him when i can in the off season so um he he was definitely tough on me and joey and tanner and jordan that that freshman class we had come in because um there were some older guys there on that team in 2012 but there was there's a lot of us in that freshman class that played quite a bit and um he uh he expected the most out of us and, and made us grow up quickly and uh, can't thank him enough for for everything he did for me and my family. The same same goes to Coach Holbrook. They're they're two of the best men you'll find. Yeah, for sure. So I want to talk about that freshman year, Grace, and obviously 2012. 
it's kind of a mixed bag, you know, some good, some bad, sort of what you expect from a freshman year. But, I mean, you hit 22-22, but you started 53 games, six homers, 32 RBIs, and like you said, on a team that made it to the College World Series final. You know, I was joking with uh, with Nolan Belcher, who we just had on the show, that that 2012 team is like the forgotten team at South Carolina, I feel like. I mean, it's yeah. you see all on YouTube, you know, the highlights of 10 and 11 and winning the title. I'm like – People forget 2012, you guys made it to the final. And for most other programs, that is like the best season ever in their history. Yeah. Because you don't win it, everybody's – that like kind of goes as the forgotten year, which I just think is kind of funny. But just talk about as a true freshman, we're really getting thrust into action. Again, you start 53 games on a team that goes to the College World Series final. Um, I guess you, you talked about flipping the switch and having to grow up really quickly, going from a fan to a contributor. What was that freshman season like for you? Uh, like you said, it had a lot of ups and downs. Um, you know, I, I went from hitting <laughs> 500 my whole life to hitting 222 and playing in the SEC as a, as a 19 year old, these, these advanced and experienced picture pitchers will, will expose you pretty quickly. And, uh, I didn't do a good enough job making adjustments offensively, but, um, since I was a little kid, I always kind of, uh, put, put most of my focus defensively with my position as a catcher. Um, you can win you can help your team in a lot of ways as a catcher, as opposed to say a left fielder, uh, just by the way you handle the pitching staff and, you know, keep balls in front of you, control the running game, all, all kinds of stuff like that. But, uh, I was, <laughs> I was kind of, you know, surprised a lot of the times that coach Tanner kept running me out there when I would go through a bunch of, you know, tough times, but, uh, he, he kept sticking with me and, um, we, we made it to the, to the finals and, uh, I got to start the national championship as a freshman, which was really cool for me, a cool experience. And uh, I wish we wish we would have got the three-peat. Um, that would have been that would have been amazing. I remember, I remember I made the last out of the uh, of the national championship, flew out to right field for for Arizona to win it. Walking past that dog pile was pretty tough. Um, mm -hmm. I wish I was on the bottom of it. No question. I, I wanted to ask you just you know again because 2012 was the year you went to Omaha. I mean, just can you even describe? I guess. Because, again, I know it was sort of a business-like approach with that team because, again, you've won it back-to-back -back and there's no question what the expectation, the goal is. But, you know, I tell people, you don't – you just got to realize how tough it is to even get there, to get to the final, you know what I mean? Like, so it's still a very special thing. I mean, what, what was the – I guess the Omaha experience like for you despite the end result? It was – it was kind of a blur, honestly. I don't remember a whole lot from it. Um, everything moves so fast. You're there for, well, in our case, we were there for about two weeks. And uh, it just, it went by so fast. But it felt like we got there. And the next thing you know, we were, we were playing in the national championship. I remember I remember the Arkansas game uh, where Jordan Montgomery threw really well. And I remember we had to beat them twice <clears throat> to make it to the finals. And we just had some unreal performances at the plate. Mm. Uh it was, um, I mean, like you said, it's just, it's an amazing experience. The the goal right when we get to Carolina, especially in our case, after coming off back-to-back -back championships, the goal was to win another one. And we came really close. And uh, like you said, it, you don't realize how hard it is. Our My sophomore and junior years, um, we didn't make it to Omaha and got humbled a little bit. And you realize you're not going to be able to ride that wave at the top, you know, forever. And uh, just hopefully our fans and you know as a as a player that is not playing there anymore i can i can kind of you know reason with the fans that it, it's not going to happen every year it's uh right. that little that stretch from 2010 to 2012 um was a very special stretch and uh 
hopefully it'll always be remembered like that. And hopefully we can get back there again soon. Yeah, no question. So I do want to ask you, you know, obviously again, Coach Tanner and Coach Holbrook both recruited you, obviously, but in 2012 after the season, I think it was that fall, uh, Coach Tanner made it official. He was stepping down, retiring, moving to the AD role, which he's obviously in now. Chad Holbrook taking over. I'm sure it was a seamless transition because I've talked with other guys before and, you know, they – you know, they all kind of said the same thing as we just assumed just to keep on winning. I mean, it's the same guy, you know, Coach Holbert was there through all the titles, and I mean, nothing was really going to change. I mean, there's obviously a slight change when a new guy takes over, but just kind of talk about for you personally, when you got the news, finding out Coach Tanner stepping down, Coach Holbert's getting the job, I, I guess what was what was going through your head when that was all going down? Yeah, pretty similar to what, um, what you were just talking about, the guys in the past have said. It was just uh... – you know, the, the ball is going to keep on rolling with Coach Holbrook. He was a he was a great coach, great man, and um, it was obviously uh, disappointing for a lot of us that Coach Tanner was leaving. But I think uh, he was moving on to, to bigger and better things. Kind of something he always wanted to do. And um, it, there there was never any you know bad feelings about oh I committed here. You you know you said you were going to be here. There was nothing like that. Um, I I think a lot of guys. Uh, committed to play there to to put on the garnet and black. I'm not sure guys committed there just to play for Coach Tanner. And if he left, they were going to leave. It was a uh, right. ball was going to keep rolling on. Coach Holbrook was there through all the success, and um, he was a, he was a great coach to play for. Very thankful for a lot of things he did for me and my career and my family. So, um, you know, Coach Tanner's doing good things now, and um, Coach Kingston's doing good things now. Mm-hmm. So the, the baseball program has has been one of the best programs at our school for a long time. And uh, I'm sure it's going to stay that way. Yeah. I was going to ask, did, did, did coach Tanner, you know, cause I asked this to guys now and I obviously, you know, coach Tanner is more than immersed in his AD role, if you will. But right when it happened, mm-hmm. I mean, did he stay pretty involved with baseball? Did he kind of step back and just let coach Holbert do his thing? Or did you guys still, was he still around the facility a lot or was it kind of a, he just made the transition and boom, it was like, you know, what, 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 like, did he, did he try to stay involved at all? I guess. Um, no, he wasn't around a whole lot. He, you know, he was, I think he mm-hmm. kind of just wanted coach Holbrook to run the program and he gotcha. knew coach Holbrook could run the program, you know, at an elite level. So, um, he, we didn't see him a whole lot. We saw him sometimes on game days, but it, it wasn't like he was coming out there and throwing batting practice and hitting fungos. And all right, that. Right. But, uh, he, he had some, he's got to run an entire athletics department. So I can't imagine everything that's on his plate. Uh, it's not like he could set those things aside and come spend his his whole day with the with the baseball program. So um, <laughs> that's what he signed up for, and uh, you know that's uh, that's kind of how it was. Is he he let Coach Holbrook run it how he wanted to, and in a lot of ways it was very like Coach Holbrook learned under Coach Tanner for a long time. So a lot a lot of the things we did as far as practice routine and everything stayed the same. For sure. So I want to switch gears a little bit, Grayson, really quickly. When you take a look at you on the roster, obviously you're you're a guy 6'6", 239. That's at least what the Tigers have you listed at. But you are a big catcher. I remember watching you at South Carolina and thinking this is a gigantic catcher. Not that catchers aren't normally big, but 6'6 is very big for a catcher. I I just want to get your insight kind of growing up. What attracted you to the position? Because I always joke with people that, you know, catchers are a different breed of human being. You have to – be wired a little differently to want to go back there and take that beating that you guys take all game. And I think you mm-hmm. guys are probably honestly a little underappreciated for what you do, but <laughs> I guess what attracted you to the position and, you know, just talk about playing that position at your size, if you will. Yeah, I, um, I started as a shortstop in little league. And I think just one day we needed a catcher and, um, 
there's a picture of me when I was, I don't know, eight, nine years old and catching gear. So I guess that's about the age I started catching. <laughs> I don't have, I have the worst, I mean, I have the worst memory on earth, but, um, I kind of just fell in love with the position, you know, being involved on every pitch. And I'm a, I kind of consider myself a very, uh, cerebral kind of nerdy kind of guy. So I, I love the, uh, you know, the chess, the chess game we have back there as far as calling pitches and reading swings and, um, knowing, knowing what a guy is looking for and, and trying to counter that. And I just, I really fell in love with the position and I didn't know I was going to grow up to be six, six, but, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that hadn't stopped me so far. A lot of, you know, when I got to high school, I think, I think my freshman year of high school, I sprouted up to six, five. So I heard a lot of people saying he's going to have to switch to first base. He's going to have to be a pitcher, all this stuff. And, um, my dad, who's a huge influence on my life, just always told me, don't let, don't let what anybody says, you know, deter you from doing what you want to do. He's like, do you want to catch? I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to catch my entire life, my entire career. And, um, I just continue to work on it. It's, uh, being six six makes some things tough, you know, the, uh, the long limbs, you have to really focus on your quickness and agility back there as far as blocking and getting out of your crouch to throw. And, uh, that's just, yeah, it's what I love doing is, is trying to, to hone that craft. And, um, I didn't realize how, how hard it was when I got to the big leagues, as far as the scattering reports and the game calling goes, but it's like, it's like nothing you'd ever believe. Um, all the, all the data we have and putting together a scattering report each and every day with each pitcher, with each lineup, it's, uh, it's crazy, but, um, I love it. I love doing it as my job and, um, I'm going <laughs> to keep doing it as long as they let me, as long as they let me go back there. For sure. So I want to ask you this as well, kind of a funny thing. So obviously we've had your boy Joey on the show. I know you guys are really close. Um, and we yeah. talk, I think he and I talked about this, but one of the things that was most noticeable, obviously when you played at South Carolina was the kind of the hitch, the, the little hitch throwing mm -hmm. back to the pitcher. And I think, Maybe it was Joey said it, maybe somebody else, that at one point I think you got the yips or something. But just it's kind oh, of yeah. funny looking back now because um, I think for the longest time everybody was like, what is going on? Like nobody had a clue. Yeah. Like, does he just throw like that? Like what's the deal? Give, give people kind of an insight, like a, the story behind that. No, it was completely mental. I mean, I just, uh, you know, woke up one day and it was like I had never thrown a baseball before. <laughs> it's happened to athletes in mm -hmm. all, all yeah. realms of sports, golf you know, baseball, it just happens. And, uh, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. It's just, it's something that eats at you between the ears. And, um, the only way to really get out of it is to, to keep throwing. And one day it just clicks and thanks, <laughs> thank the Lord it clicks for me one day to, to remember how to throw again. But it was, it was not fun having your own fans yell at you to throw it back to the mound. And, uh, <laughs> trust me, I didn't, I, I didn't want to, didn't want to have that problem. And, uh, it sucks, but, um, I think it's something that made me stronger mentally and um, learned to deal with adversity and, and deal with that kind of thing. But uh, it definitely wasn't a fun thing, and I'm, I'm glad it's passed me. But uh, that, that one month or two month stretch where I had it was, was rough, honestly. No doubt. So I want to move in that 2013 season for you, Grayson, because, again, second team All-SEC. Uh, you were also named the NCAA Regional All-Tournament team. That year you take a look, 298. Uh, four homers, 38 RBIs. I guess what clicked for you or what changed in your game? I know your junior year was your breakout year, obviously, but obviously a big jump, jump that sophomore year, and you started basically every game for South Carolina. Um, what do you attribute, I guess, that sophomore year, being second team All-SEC? Like, what were the things in your game that you think improved the most from year one to year two? 
Um, just comfort level and using the whole field. I think when I got to Carolina my freshman year, I was real pull happy and trying to hit the ball out of the park because that's, that's what I did in high school. I could, you know, the pitchers in high school aren't gonna aren't gonna break the radar gun by any means. So you can kind of you can kind of just do what you want to do. And I wanted to hit home runs, so I got to college and realized quickly I wasn't gonna be able to do that. And uh, just a lot of work in the off season on on taking what pitchers give you and controlling the strike zone and, and hitting the ball the other way. And uh, by no means that I have it figured out or anything. I had a better year than my freshman year, but um, just the continued growth, trying to get better every day. And uh, <laughs> I'm still trying to learn how to hit. I'm 27 years old now, so it's a uh, it's a ongoing process. It's, I mean, hitting is the hardest. Hitting baseball is the hardest thing to do, and in all sports, in my opinion. So, um, unless your unless your name is Mike Trout, nobody's really got it figured out. <laughs> no question. So, and then I want to talk about again that 2014 year. I mean, you hit 311, which you can correct me if I'm wrong here, because I was looking at the uh, the bio here. I, I don't see all SEC, which seems absurd. I, maybe I missed that, or they didn't put that in there. But if you weren't all SEC, I, I don't understand that snub, if you will. But <laughs> either way, whatever. You hit 311, eight homers, 50 RBIs, tore it up. Obviously, you know, baseball fans know your junior year, that's your money year. That's the year you have leverage as a prospect. Just, I guess, mm-hmm. talk about the mindset going into that season. Because again, I know you as a player, you, you block that out, but you know, as a player that it's your junior season and you want to have your best year and, you know, make that yeah. jump to the big leagues. Just uh, just talk about that junior year, kind of the approach again. I know you're, like you're saying, more comfortable. You've obviously had a ton of at-bats at this point under your belt. But that junior season, it really all seemed to click for you. Yeah, it was uh, certainly my best year in college. Um, I'm not going to lie and say <laughs> I wasn't thinking about the draft because anybody that tells you that is is right. probably lying. But uh, I was I was putting the majority and you know 99 percent of my focus into getting us back to Omaha and trying to become a better leader it's kind of you know my freshman year I was I was just a young freshman trying to you know find my feet and and contribute any way I can and when I got to my junior year I felt like I had to really take on a leadership role and um, some nights you know carry us as a team both defensively and and do everything I could to to get us some runs offensively but um, mechanics wise swing wise like I said just continuing to build continuing to control the strike zone and um I, I had some had some good moments that year you know as a team we we came up short there in the, in the regionals but um it was a it was a good year uh, offensively and um helped me get drafted so it was a uh, it was fun and uh, looking back now it's it was definitely one of my better years yeah, I was going to say, one of those nights you carried the South Carolina baseball team, and obviously with it being this week, I think it's kind of perfect gracing because I want to talk about that grand slam you had against Clemson. And you guys had a lot of success against Clemson while you were there, but a grand slam, you had a career-high five RBIs in that game, nine to six mm-hmm. win at Founders Park, which I know I had to make it sweet. But we are talking, it is Carolina Clemson week. Obviously, this weekend the Gamecocks going to take on the Tigers. Um, the mm-hmm. best rivalry in all of college baseball for you growing up a South Carolina fan, like you said, being a truly a diehard fan, your father playing there, grandfather, all of that. What did that rivalry mean to you? Cause I know it surely it means a lot to you now, but as a player, when you got to South Carolina, just expand on that rivalry, what it was like for you personally. It was, it was huge. I mean, I was, uh, I was raised to pretty much hate Clemson in all facets <laughs> of life. So uh, that, that, that first game, I, I have a terrible memory, but I do remember that series very vividly. Um, the first game was was amazing, hitting that grand slam. Kind of, I think we were down, I don't know, six nothing or six one or something. 
kind of got us back in the game, and uh, we rode that momentum out to a big win against uh, Gossett, who was a, a fantastic pitcher for them, pitched pitch in the big league, still pitching. Um, so I think that got us on the right foot for the series, and then we uh, we went on to to sweep them. I think uh, I think in three years we were we were nine and two against them, so that was extra sweet uh, for me personally. Just you know beating those guys. They, there's a lot of great players on those teams. Guys have played a played with and against here in pro ball and uh, it's always nice to have that upper hand on them that we beat them um, back in those years no question so I think what's crazy too that 2014 season I mean to have a grand slam in your career just one mm-hmm. is phenomenal you had two in a season and the mm-hmm. other one was a walk-off grand slam two outs bottom of the ninth six five gaming literally the way you draw it up in your head as a little kid you know two outs bottom of the ninth. Yeah. you're down one you come up with the bases loaded, hit a grand slam, an absolute bomb against Tennessee, get the win. I mean, can you even describe the rush of emotions when you hit that ball and you know it's out? <laughs> Not really. It's uh, It was awesome. Um, I remember the crazy thing about that whole day was that Jordan Gore was a freshman. He had a walk-off home run earlier that day on a rainout game. So we had two walk-off home runs against uh, Tennessee in one day, which uh, I don't know if that's ever been done, but it uh, – <laughs> It was a special day getting to celebrate with my teammates at home plate and the, the party we had in the clubhouse afterwards. And uh, it was pretty, we all, we were all together um, that night after the game and we had ESPN on in the background and the <laughs> sports center top 10 plays came on and, you know, me and Gore were talking, we're like, we might have a chance to be on this thing. And it got like past eight. And we're like, nah, they're not going to put college baseball on sports center. And uh, it got down to like three and two and, we kind of gave up and then number one came on and it was us. We went, we went nuts. So that was a, that was a special day. And, um, like you said, it was, uh, just a rush, rush of emotion to hit a, a walk-off grand slam. It's pretty funny. Our, our left fielder with the Tigers, Kristen Stewart was in left field for that game for Tennessee. And, uh, in the video, you can see him just slam his glove to the ground right when I hit it. It's pretty funny. And, uh, I always give him a hard time about that. That's awesome. So, obviously, in that 2014 season for you, Grayson, phenomenal year. Um, did everything you need to do. You're taking the 2014 MLB draft third round by the Detroit Tigers. J- just talk to me about, you know, obviously, since you've been playing the ball, since, you pick, or since you've been playing baseball, picked up a baseball, that's the dream. Uh, you realize that you're drafted third round by Detroit. J- just talk about when you mm-hmm. get that phone call, what was that like? It was cool. We had, like, a family gathering over at my grandparents' house, friends and family, and um, – it was it was funny because the the first day of the draft is rounds rounds one and two and I didn't get selected um, and my agent called me that night he said hey the athletics are going to take you with their pick in the third round tomorrow so be prepared so uh, I had like an athletics hat on over at my grandparents' house <laughs> we were all jazzed up and Detroit was two picks before the athletics <laughs> and, uh, my agent texted me he was like hey watch for the Tigers. They might take you right here. And, uh, sure enough, the, um, I believe my, uh, my area scout for the Tigers called me and, and told me they were selecting me. So that was, that threw me a little bit of a curveball there, but, uh, I was, I was thrilled to be picked by the Tigers. They're an amazing organization and I've been blessed to be with them my whole career. I think I'm going on year seven now with them. Mm-hmm. So just a, a great organization. And, uh, I was, I was so thrilled when they picked me that day and, uh, it sucks that, out of 30, however many baseball teams, the one mascot that are the Tigers is who picked me, but um, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's point. Good. You know, I did not even think of that. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I always have friends and family ask me to sign baseballs or whatever, saying go Tigers, and it, it always feels kind of weird. Say <laughs> like go Detroit instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go Detroit. Yeah, so obviously, yeah, you're taken by the Tigers. You know, you start that kind of minor league grind, if you will, mm -hmm. um, that we all hear about. Make your major league debut May the 6th, 2018. Take me back to that date. You get the call up. I can't imagine how thrilled you were when you got the, the actual call that you were going to be making your debut. But just give people an idea because, again, that's not something many people get the opportunity to do. What, what was that like? Just take me through that entire day. Oh, uh, well, I actually got uh, – it was May 3rd. We were in Durham, North Carolina, playing the AAA team for the Rays, the Durham Bulls. And it's not too far from Columbia. So my my dad and my wife and my – at the time, he was, I guess, three-month-old son. They drove up for that series. And it was just a normal day. I was starting a catcher, went out for batting practice, and I came back in. And our manager, Doug Mankiewicz, put up a new lineup card, and my name wasn't – it wasn't in the lineup, and it wasn't on the card at all. So um, I was a little confused. And I looked on my phone and saw on Twitter that Miguel Cabrera was injured, and our backup catcher in Detroit also played some first base. So I started to put the pieces together a little bit, but I couldn't assume anything, and uh, I had to go watch – us play the Bulls just sit in the dugout and that was about three hours so I was just a nervous wreck the whole time and uh finally right after the game the manager called me in and told me I was called up so um you know I was uh flushed with emotions um you know happy just ecstatic and uh my uh my dad I texted my wife and said y'all hang out in the stands something might be happening so um they waited, and I, went, I walked out of the dugout and saw them in the stands and, you know, threw my arms up in the air, and they just all went nuts. And, you know, me and my, me and my dad just had a big hug, started crying together because it's kind of what, what we worked on, worked for our whole life, and uh, it was an amazing moment. And then May 4th that morning, I flew from Durham up to Kansas City to meet the team, play the Royals. I watched, didn't start the 4th, didn't start the 5th, and then I started the Sunday day game on May 6th and um, got to hit my first at bat, which was really cool. And uh, just, uh, just an amazing feeling. You, you worked for, you know, I've heard, always heard the saying, it takes 10,000 hours of preparation for one, one moment of success. And that kind of all came to fruition, all the hard work and uh, just um, an amazing had Joey <laughs> pancake flew out to, for the game to watch me. That was awesome. Got to hang out with him for a weekend. And uh, it was really cool. Oh, the only thing that kind of stunk about my debut was Whit Merrifield stole three bases on me that day. So that was, uh, <laughs> oh, that was man. Kind of oh, yeah, man. Was no good. <laughs> Gamecock on Gamecock crime. He was the first batter um, that was in the box when I, you know, the first batter of the first inning of my debut. So that was kind of crazy that mm. it happened to be a Gamecock. All just comes full circle. So it's yeah. funny how quickly you have to flip the switch to Grayson because you go from – you know, being ecstatic, you've realized a dream to now. I mean, you're sitting here 2020 with the Tigers in spring training. I mean, you're fighting for a job. That's what everybody's doing. They're all fighting for jobs, yep. fighting for positions. Um, yep. Throughout your career, five homers, 31 RBIs. I, I guess just talk about your attitude now, you know, going into this 2020 season again, fighting for that job, being a, like you said, almost with South Carolina where you were talking about flipping the switch from being a fan to a contributor. And I feel like now you're almost flipping the switch from being a, outside observer and watcher of major league baseball to 
I mean, you're a contributor, no questions asked. I mean, what's mm-hmm. what's kind of going through your mind right now? What are you working on? And uh, I guess how excited are you for this 2020 season for yourself personally? We'll start there. Very excited. Um, every year is a new new opportunity, and um, you know, every kind of the way I approach things is just work hard. You know, play the game the right way, be a good teammate. That's you kind of control what you can control. Um, that's that's really all I do. Any anything that Detroit Tigers want me to do to help their team, that's what I want to do. And uh, that's kind of how I, how I've always lived my life is just to be a hard worker and um, do things the right way. And I'm very excited for this for this team and you know to get started this spring training um we got some new guys that are you know have had a lot of success in the big leagues and like you said i'm just i'm trying to fight for a job and and do the best i can every single day to to do what i need to do to be in the big leagues so um that's my mindset every day and uh that's that's going to be the mindset my entire career is just you know be a good teammate uh do everything i can to help whichever organization i'm with hopefully hopefully the tigers for a long time but um I understand thing, how things work, and I just want to play this game as long as as long as I can. So, um, like you said, there's you kind of have to go from observing to to fighting for your life to to be in the big leagues, and um, that's that's just how everyone views it. Unless you're you know Miguel Cabrera, where you you know you're <laughs> going to be on the team, but for for the vast majority of guys, it's uh it's fighting fighting to put you know, food on the table and it, it's completely different than, than college baseball or high school baseball. It's a uh, completely different mindset. It's, um, it's truly unique. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this season and, and the many seasons to come. Yeah. I was going to say, I think people just don't really realize just how really just how competitive it is. Cause I mean, again, there's, you know, for you, there, there's five, six, seven more U's fighting for the same spot. I mean, that's, it's mm-hmm. have one bad day and you know, you never know. So, I mean, it's, yeah. you know, I think people kind of miss that side of it for sure. But I know I asked you, you personally, you kind of expanded on it, but I guess when you look at this Detroit Tigers team, you, you sort of talked about it, but how excited for you, I guess, for this 2020 ball club, what, what are you expecting from this group? Um, you know, last year was real tough to be, uh, you know, <clears throat> we didn't have a good year last year and, um, you know, with the, uh, the front office went out and signed, CJ Crone, Jonathan Scope, Austin Romine, uh, Yvonne Nova. We we signed some some experienced guys that have had years and years of big league success, and um, everyone talks about the rebuild the last couple of years. And uh, I think a lot of a lot of our young players are getting really close to the big leagues, and we have a lot of really really good young players. So getting to see the the, the older guys mesh with the younger guys, and you know have all that blend together. There's a lot of excitement in our clubhouse. It's a great group of great group of leaders and to be around you know Cameron Mabern Miguel Cabrera you know guys like that that have been doing this for a long time and they're great great presences in the clubhouse it's uh it's a lot of excitement so we're we're eager to get going we're we're playing playing well right now we're just um getting back into the swing of things so um looking forward to this year with with the Tigers and um there, there's a lot of great and exciting things ahead for this organization for sure. I, I got to ask you who, you know, obviously again, you're a guy that going on your third year, is there one, you know, I ask people a lot of times, was there a welcome to the SEC moment or welcome to college? Was there a welcome to like the MLB moment, like a certain arm you faced or you're like, holy smokes, like this is, this is big time. Like, it, it, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've, I've done a few of these interviews and I get asked this question a lot. And I always give the same answer. Um, I think it was, 
I don't know. It was it was within my first ten starts in the big leagues, but uh, I was catching at home against the Angels and the uh, two the one two three four five in their order. I believe was Ian Kinsler, Mike Trout, Albert Pujols, Justin Upton, and Shohei Otani. So, uh, <laughs> you know that was uh that was kind of like this isn't the minor leagues anymore. This is in college. You're 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 catching behind Mike Trout, Albert Pujols, Ian Kinsler, Justin Upton, and Shohei Otani. So it was uh it was pretty eye opening, and it was amazing to be on the field with with those guys as, as competitors where I you know I'm trying to call pitches mm. to beat those guys as, a, yeah. as opposed to watching them on sports center. So, uh, <laughs> that was a, that was amazing. And then just being in the presence of Miguel Cabrera every day is, is a big league moment in itself. Mm. Um, he's, he's in my opinion, probably the best right-handed hitter of the last 40, 50 years. He's just, he won the triple crown. He's won MVPs. He's done it all. So, right. To be to be around him and to be in his batting practice group and to watch him hit, it's uh, it's something I'll probably be telling my grandkids. So um, <laughs> that's a that's a name that that everybody knows. It's uh, it's a blessing to be in the same clubhouse as him. No question. So a couple of things I want to get you out here, Grayson. I want to go back to South Carolina yeah. baseball, though. Obviously, you're a guy. You're you're very busy. What you're doing with the Tigers with mm-hmm. Major League Baseball, but uh, I know again, like you said, you keep up with South Carolina. I want to get your takes because obviously Chad Holbrook had his run with the Gamecocks, then Mark Kingston mm-hmm. taking over in his third season. Have you had a chance to come back meet Coach Kingston just as an alum, as a proud alum? Just kind of give, I guess, your overall take on the state of South Carolina baseball right now. Yeah, I've gotten to meet Coach uh, Coach Kingston a few times and interact with him uh, many times, and he's a great guy, a great coach. Um, I love what he's doing with the program. Um, I know sometimes our fans aren't too happy with us losing some games, but um, he's got he's got the program going in a good direction. He's very very hardworking, very analytical, and um, you know I have no doubt that he'll he'll be a successful coach here. And uh, it's hard, man. It's hard being a college baseball player and, and getting guys to mesh and, and putting it all together each and every day. There's going to be days where, you know, you, you have the hitting, but you don't have the pitching. There's going to be days where you have the pitching, you don't have the hitting. It's not, it's not going to mesh every single day. That's, that's what they're striving towards. So mm-hmm. um, I guess my advice to fans would be, be patient and wait, wait till there's a little bigger sample size. Um, I know we, we just lost the Northwestern in a series, but um, that's going to happen. I, I mean, we lost to Francis Marion when they opened their ballpark. We lost to Furman. We lost to Wofford. We lost to Francis Marion when they were opening their new ballpark and we went to the national championship that year. So it's, uh, it's going to happen. So, um, I know, uh, as a fan, it's, it's not fun. You know, I, I keep up with our basketball team, football team, there's games you shouldn't lose, but it happens. Um, yep. you just got to have faith and, and know that the people in charge, are, they're not happy about it either. They're going to do everything they can to, to write the ship and I, I have no doubt coach Kingston and his staff will do that. And those players, those players are working their butts off every day. You know, I hit up there in the off season. I always see them in there, but we you know working and sweating and, and trying to get better. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll always root, root for Carolina baseball and, and have faith that they're going to, they're going to do great things. For sure. And a big opportunity this weekend, obviously taking on Clemson. Last question, Grayson, I'll get you out of here. When you look back at your South Carolina career, Obviously, you had a ton of great moments, uh, a ton of memorable moments. If you have to pick one, maybe your favorite moment at South Carolina, what would it be? Um, I would say a tie between uh, starting in the national championship 
and the Grand Slam against Clemson and winning, I think they, I think it's called the Tom Price Award mm-hmm. um, yeah, the for the M- MVP of the Clemson series. That was a uh, <laughs> that's kind of you know growing up in Columbia and and never really liking Clemson at all. Um, <laughs> being the MVP of that series and being able to give that to my parents, um, that was really cool. Uh, I'd say those two moments were were two moments that stand out and just the the lifelong relationships I have with coach Tanner, coach Holbrook, you know, all my, all my really close friends that I got to play with, I get to, you know, keep in touch with those guys. Um, you know, Vince Fiore is, is in New York. So when we played the Yankees, I got to get them some batting practice tickets. Just those life, mm-hmm. those lifelong relationships are, uh, the, if I had to pick anything that really stood out, it would be those relationships with those guys that I got to form over those three years. That would be my, uh, my favorite moments. No question. Well, Grayson, really do appreciate you taking the time in. Obviously, I know I can speak for all Gamecock fans when I say it was a pleasure to watch you what you did in Garnet and Black and then to see your career sort of blossom as it has. Uh, I know I'm excited. I know most, you know, all of the South Carolina fans are excited to follow your career and uh, wishing you nothing but a, a healthy and prosperous 2020 season with the Tigers, man. Looking forward to it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and um, go Gamecocks. Absolutely. So for Grayson Griner, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in and we'll catch you next time on an episode of the Spurs.